Teresa and I watched a video, kind of like a, um, it's like a Christian documentary. And it had many, many very famous Christian, you know, pastor, high, you know, people. Yeah, I don't tell the name of the movie because you'll go watch it. I didn't like it that much. But they, they started off their movie showing people that I have a lot of respect for in a disdainful kind of a way, you know. And, and then the next thing that they did is they started to talk about these pastors and these preachers that, um, that try to manipulate you and control you by telling you all the rules. And, you know, and, and so I grew up in the church and you know, I thought God was just this big mean guy because all I ever heard were, keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules. And I, I think there probably are people who use what the Bible teaches, probably not even consciously, but as a way to get control, to try to, you know, get people to act like Jesus, or you're going to go to hell, or, you know, I, I just, my friends in the Catholic Church when I was a kid, my mom asked me, we never went to church, hey, do you boys, I'm like seven, my brother's five, do you boys want to be Catholic or do you want to be Presbyterian? Because my dad was Catholic, my mom thinking, I don't know, I don't know anything about any of this, but I know this, every Monday after school, the Catholic kids got to get on that catechism bus and they don't get to play. So I picked Presbyterian. So I guess my first call was Presbyterian. I'm not sure I know why, other than I didn't want to have to get on the catechism bus. But the, the Catholic people would, would be like, you know, God sees you. He knows what you're doing. Like, you know, he's, he's just waiting to smack your knuckles with a ruler if you get a little out of line. And, and, and even parents would use those kind of tactics to manipulate and control their children to behave how they wanted them to. But that has not been my experience in the body of Christ. And I think when you speak in those terms, you shape people's thinking in such a way that... I don't even want to call them keeping the rules, but, but surrendering to those things that are holy is, is bad. And somebody's trying to control you and manipulate you. And, and, and when somebody tries to control me, my, my response is just the opposite. It's like, I'm going to do what you said not to do because you're not going to tell me. I'm going to decide. Sounds like you. Um, not, not in the disobedient way, but just in the control of your life kind of way. Sorry, that one I should have left alone. Um, So, so when I, I was, I'd been praying, Lord, what, what, would I, what would you have me to speak about on Sunday? And I had a thought here and a thought there. And then I, I saw that movie and I started praying and it just, it bothered me. It, it bothered me inside. And what was, what was starting out to be a conversation about just, we have to change our perspective and how we see holiness, rules, law, we have to see them through a different lens, became what's, what's looking to me now, if, if, we, if I deliver it well and you receive it well, a really sound doctrinal teaching on how it is you know God. So that, that's kind of the prelude to this thing. We're trying to um, get to a place of understanding, not just the what, you know, thou shall, thou shalt not, a little King James for you there, uh, but why thou should, and why thou should not. And, and, and it becomes very beautiful and very um, attractive if you see it through the right lens. Okay. Um, 
So then a question could be, and, and you'll have to pardon me because I've been praying and I've been given words, like words, and I want to give you the words that I feel like the Lord gave me. So I'm going to read a little bit of my own words because I want to say them the way that I got them. So, so here's a question we could ask. Is the kingdom of God composed of people that deny themselves, like deny their flesh, and keep rules to appease their wrath, to appease their wrathful God so that they can go to heaven? So is that what this is about? A bunch of people have figured out, if I don't keep God's rules, I'm going to go to hell. Therefore, this, this wrathful God of mine, I'm keeping his rules because I don't want to go to hell. That, that's one option. Option number two, or is it a kingdom of like-minded people, people who have chosen to leave one kingdom and become citizens of another? They've embraced the king and are embracing his way of thinking. That's the contrast that we're going to deal with today. And, and it's really important because more than just having a pleasant experience with the Lord, your, your actual true relationship with the war, Lord could be found or lost in, in how you see this whole thing. Okay, those people that have made that choice that I've been living in this kingdom, but I've heard about this kingdom. <laughs> I called it Bizarro Land after I got saved. Seriously, I, I met all these people when I started going to church. And I thought to myself, I said this to Teresa, I was like, Teresa, it's like we live in Bizarro Land now. Because all these people, they're so different But we've been in Walmart, I'm standing next to them in the gas station, we eat in the same restaurants, we drive on the same roads. I don't even know there's a whole other world to live in. And my reference as a baby Christian was I called it Bizarro Land. But that's literally what's happened, is that that the people that have recognized that there's, there's, there's a different alternative to living your life to serve and please yourself. And, and, and it's better. And, and that's the revelation that we need to get to to have the fullness of God, to, to experience and to bless and to be blessed and, and to understand that it's different. It's a different place. You're in it because you made a choice, but it's a different place. Okay. Is it this one or is it this one? It's probably both, but one is better. And I put in my words here, more true, but maybe it's actually true, more true than the other. The former, the first one, doesn't truly understand the path to righteousness, still in their lives, still in some sense trying to be good enough to earn God's saving favor, those folks are probably not even actually saved. The ones that have that perspective. Okay, so the path out of this kingdom into this kingdom can be kind of quick and described as repent and believe. But often in the church, I've heard people tell me that you are not allowed to say the word sin. You are not allowed to say the word repent in a certain church. We don't allow those words because they don't make people feel good. See, so repent, it's not even really understood outside the church, but it's, it's almost becoming a four-letter word inside the church. You've probably had this experience. You say repent... And someone says, you're trying to control me. You say repent, and somebody says, I'm not under law. Because repent has become this thing other than what it really is, and it's not understood. Repent is a beautiful word. 
Because repent is, is how you indicate your choice. Believe is how you execute your choice. So to, so to think that repent is somehow a bad word, uh, ew, you know, don't tell me that word, is, is just, I don't know, it's crazy, doesn't sound nice, but it's, it's crazy. Okay, so if the decision between kingdoms boils down to a decision between heaven and hell alone, like my whole decision between this one and this one is uh, heaven or hell, then the understanding of why repentance is necessary has been completely missed. How can a person truly repent, which starts in the mind, right? To repent means to change the way you think. It's like, I used to think it was okay to steal. I would do it every expense report when I worked at Hewlett Packard. I would charge them for lunches that I didn't pay any money for because they couldn't catch me. I could have more. And then I got born again. And I was filling out my first expense report. And I was thinking about, okay, you know, lunch here, parking, you know, Teresa drops me off at the airport, I would charge them for parking. Anything under 75 bucks, they don't require a receipt. I just say I paid cash. No way to get caught. Impossible. I'm like, man, I can't do this anymore. Because I understood repentance. Right? So if the decision alone is just between heaven and hell, then, then how can a person truly repent which starts in their mind if they don't see the need or don't grasp the right or wrongness of sinful, unholy behavior? They can't get to the place of relationship with God because they're repenting because somebody said they had to keep the rules versus repenting because they've come into this awareness of there's a, there's a bizarro land out there that's better than where you've been. The awareness of righteousness and unrighteousness begets the desire to repent. That awareness is a response to grace. So the, the natural carnal mind can't make that distinction. We see that in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians it says that, that the things of the Spirit are foolishness. They're ridiculous. They're nonsense to the person who doesn't have the Spirit. Because spiritual matters are spiritually discerned. So here you have this person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Yet they've been presented with the Gospel. And somehow they got to get to the place of not just making a decision between do I want to give up you know, everything that I love in this life so that I don't have to go to hell? Or can they get to the place of recognizing, oh, it's all bad. I don't want that stuff. They can't without the Holy Spirit. So it's a function of God's grace. Anybody who turns and chooses to change their life does it only because God has gifted them with a grace that will allow them to do it. So nobody gets to boast over, I was the smart one and I figured it out. No, you're the one who responded to God's grace. Praise God for that. The other one, either the grace wasn't present, or they chose, nope, when I weigh them out, I like this better. I've, I've had people tell me that all the time. If no sincere desire to repent versus only the threat of eternal suffering in hell, then really no sense of understanding of the nature of the decision that they're making. The true, sincere willingness or desire to repent is a response to God's grace and is really the true indication of wanting to change kingdoms and not just avoid punishment or wrath. And, and, and maybe it's possible to, to avoid punishment and wrath and make some kind of a, 
I'll do it because I have to decision. But I'm not sure about that. I am certain that the person that understands that. That's why it's so important when we, when we present the gospel to somebody, it's not five seconds. It has to be more than that because who could understand this? How, the, the, the grace of God's got to have a chance to kind of pickle them a little bit so they can, they can actually respond by understanding. All right, here we go, Leviticus. Let's look at holiness and rules and, and all that kind of stuff and see if, if we can see through a little bit different lens. Leviticus 11, 43 through 45. You'll see a pattern in these three scriptures, four scriptures. Leviticus 11. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with them so that you become unclean. So it, it, it's part of the Leviticus, you know, you don't eat bugs kind of thing. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy for I... God speaking. Be holy for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Fast forward to Leviticus 19 and and verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. He's giving Moses instructions. He's giving him words to say to the people. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. Oh, she's not in here. I was going to repeat that for Annika. (laughs) Every one of you shall reverence... I lost my spot. Sorry. You shall concrete yourself. I'm going to keep... Reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. It'd be easy to see those things as rules to keep, right? Don't eat bugs, because I said so, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. You'll be holy, for I am holy. You reverence your parents, because I said so. Oh, Tanya's here. That was a good one for you, too. You... You could see those as just, you know, some big controlling person demanding that, you know, they can boss you around and, and you would have to do those things. The third scripture, though, is, is from First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 14. God, through Peter, says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Well, anybody recognize what other scripture that sounds like? It's Romans 12 too. Be no longer conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a, that's a statement of repentance. Change the way you think so that you might prove the will of God. How about that? That's a pretty great outcome, isn't it? You could prove the will of God. Okay, so 1 Peter. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, behavior because it is written you shall be holy for i am holy you could see that as as just demands on your life because god said so but i see them all as relational they're both old testament and they're new testament they're not principles of a particular covenant with god they're principles of relationship with god now they don't necessarily specifically apply eternally 
but the principle applies eternally. So I think if you wanted to eat a grasshopper, you could eat a grasshopper now under the new covenant. But under the old covenant, for the purposes that God was trying to achieve through that covenant relationship with his people Israel, he wants you to eat bugs. He still wants you to reverence your parents. Give me an amen, tiny grace. a girl. But being holy as he is holy is a principle, an eternal principle. Someday it's not going to be a challenge at all. Today it's a little bit of a challenge because we've got to drag our flesh around with us, right? we got this old man wanting to take control of our soul man, this OLD man trying to take control of our soul and get it to act like it acted before. And we got this new spirit man who's been made one with God, who's holy and righteous and of the truth, who's just beautiful, trying to get our soul to act like Jesus, to, to emanate the fruit of God's spirit. And that's the tug of war we deal with in this life right now as Christians. If we're not Christians, we don't have, the, we don't have a problem because the only tug is coming from the world. But we're tugged at both ends and our soul has to decide who it's going to respond to. That's why we've come to love the king, but we're coming to love or understand his ways. That's the process of sanctification that the Bible speaks to. From glory to glory and faith to faith as a person looking into a mirror unto the likeness of our Lord. That's what's happening in our lives right now. What we need to always do is make the right decision. If we don't, God has a provision for that. If we choose our flesh over our spirit man, he says, confess. I, I understand it's going to happen. You confess. I forgive. I cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Move on. That's a pretty good dad. Notice who these imperatives are directed to. The first one is God speaking to his chosen people. Israel. The second is God speaking to the church. He says, as obedient children, his family. He's not speaking to the whole world. He's speaking to those that are in relationship with him. He's saying to Israel, be holy, for I am holy. Here's how you will represent my holiness to this world. He says to the church, be holy, for he is holy. And it indicates to us how we represent his holiness to the world. We, we don't even have to really do it because we're it now. The part that you identify with has to be the new person, the born-again entity, not the old one. And next week, I'll talk about that some more. If we identify with the mistakes that we make once we're born again, then the devil is really winning that battle for how we think. We have to recognize, yeah, oh, you got me that time, but you're not going to get me again. I'm not that guy. I'm this guy. So, ultimately, ultimately, we only fight that battle till we leave this earth. And then God will glorify us. And then that battle's done. We don't have to drag that old flesh. The old flesh actually gets to be dead. Right now, we have to treat it like it's dead. We have to crucify that flesh. It actually says, if you're born again, it has been crucified. Need to leave it on the cross. Okay. So the imperatives of you shall be holy for I am holy, if it was to the whole world, what would it indicate as a way of salvation? Works. Self-righteousness. But what's the way of salvation? Imputed righteousness. 
Not self-righteousness. He's speaking to his people, his family, his children. You notice that every time that you get that kind of um, exhortation, it's wrapped with behavioral commands. You should read when you go home. You don't have to expand in Leviticus if you don't want to. But read First Peter chapter 1 and catch that statement in its broader context and see what it says. We should behave how God behaves, how our Lord Jesus taught us to behave. But it's for reasons different than because if you don't keep the rules, God's going to knock you out of heaven. And that, You know what I'm saying? If you think the requirement for holiness is about keeping rules, your perspective is off. And we have to look deeper than the rule to the relational why of the rule. Let me give you an example. Here's a rule. God gave us this rule. It's in the Ten Commandments. We don't take what's not ours. That's a rule. Why? Because it's not moral. It's not righteous. It's been declared to us as how God's people should act. What's the deeper why? Remember, what does 2 Corinthians 5 describe our ministry as being? A ministry of reconciliation. What, what does reconciliation imply? A return to relationship, right? We're estranged, but our ministry is to bring people to be reconciled to their God. Okay, so the deeper why is this. Because when I take what's not mine that's yours, it hinders trust. So, so you don't leave your purse where you can't see it when I'm in the room. You don't invite me into your intimate conversations because I'm not trustworthy. You don't know what I'm going to do with those things that are very tender to you, right? Intimate, productive Excellent relationships can't exist outside of trust. You try to have intimacy with someone that can't trust you. They won't allow it. You have somebody try to have intimacy with you. I'm not talking about sexual. I'm talking about intimacy. Like, I have nowhere else to go. I have to have somebody to talk to about this that's not going to judge you, that's, not, that's just going to hear you and love you. You don't take those things to people that aren't trustworthy. So what's the deeper why? The why is because if we steal... We hinder trust. If we hinder trust, we break relationship. If we break relationship, then there is no unity. See, we were created as relational beings. What did God say when he did creation? Man, I looked at this, I looked at this, I looked at this, I looked at this, I looked at this. It was all good. I looked at Adam. It wasn't good. There's was something wrong. Adam, he couldn't have relationship with the elephants and the whales and the squirrels. I mean, kind of, but not the way the elephant has a relationship with an elephant. Adam was incomplete in himself. So God put him to sleep, took a little chunk of rib, fashioned from that rib a suitable, comparable helper. Someone to come alongside Adam and make him to be complete. See, we're incomplete outside of relationship. Well, God keeps making me keep all these rules, otherwise I have to go to hell. It's like, no, no. You can't get reconciled to God by keeping rules. You only stay in relationship with God, in relationship with others by keeping rules. Change the, change the, the rule. Change it from thou shalt, not, <laughs> thou shalt not steal to thou shalt not lie. Don't tell a lie. 
How many people do you allow intimacy into your personal world that are liars? Nobody. Right? And now you can forgive them for telling a lie. And you can maybe have reconciled intimate relationship, but what has to happen first before that intimate relationship is going to happen? Trust. Where is trust going to come from? They have to repent. They have to not be a liar anymore. Right? You're going to keep telling lies. You can't get closer than the end of my arm because you're not safe. Holiness facilitates relationship. But holiness is not the conception of relationship. Holiness is the actual life of relationship. Does that make sense? We know it's not the conception of relationship. Otherwise, relationship would be based on works. God says, if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, which is a way of saying repent, if you'll serve His Lordship and His ways... Just confess that that's the position of your heart, that that's what you intend to do. Not even that you have to be great at doing it, but that's sincerely the intent of your heart. God says, then believe that my son has died, was was made as an offering of sacrifice for the debt that you've created between you and me with your sin. By those two things, you can be reconciled into relationship. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to be sincere. So, Because none of us can keep the law, get to that next week as well, relationship isn't conceived in holiness. You don't get yourself holy and then come to God and he receives you because now you're holy like he's holy. You come to yourself, you come to God humbly and contrite and understanding because somebody shared you the real gospel and the grace of God has caused you to see the difference between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and you're not choosing to leave the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light because you really want the kingdom of darkness right that's like it's like somebody that that um is reading the sermon on the mount and what they want is they want to walk the wide path and end up at the destination of the narrow path Right? They want to walk the wide one, but they want to end up at the destination of the narrow one. Well, let's say that's possible. It's really not, but let's just say it is. That person who who wants to live this way, heaven's going to be hell for them because it ain't going to be that way. All that that they desired, but they didn't want the they didn't want the the just desserts of it or the wages of it. They're not going to have it at the end of their wide path or the narrow path, if somehow they wiggled their way in, and heaven would be their hell. Versus the person who chooses. That's why I said it's a person who makes a choice. What we want to do is, is make, help people make an informed choice, and then we want to understand the choice we made so that we can actually be blessed by holiness. It's not the way in, it's the way of. That might be a better way to say it. I don't know, feel like I'm saying the same thing ten times, but it's here in red letters, so I'll read it to you. It's interesting. The lack of holiness or righteousness is the reason that relationship with God was broken, but it's not the way back to relationship with God. Relationship with God, with Jesus, within the church is not conceived in our holiness, but is maintained that way. I'll talk more about that next week. So, excuse me. 
the whole purpose why I started this thing, I mean, it's, it's expanded a lot from there. But the whole purpose I, I started this thing was when somebody says to you, oh, you know, you've chosen this wrathful, angry God to be your God, and you keep his rules so he won't just burn you up in hell, you say, no, he's the God that created me. He's the God that wired me. You wouldn't put 600 volts onto a circuit that can only handle 100 volts or amps or, you know, we need pick here. But, but the point is you wouldn't do that because everything on there would blow up. All your stuff would get wrecked. So if you're the guy that designed how all the stuff is, then you know the right plug to plug into it so that it functions and it's fruitful and it works how it's supposed to work. God created me. He knows what's good for me. So he gives me instructions so that I can stay out of bad things. If I start telling lies, it's going to hurt me. And it's going to hurt the people that I want to have relationship with. Because it's going to cause me to be isolated. If I, if I become unholy and steal things that aren't mine, I promise you God will let it be known. And it's going to hurt me. So we can respond back and say, no, 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 those are rules. You could look at them as rules, but they're, they're really God's instruction so that I can be blessed. And I want to do those things. And here's a little bit from next week. Next week we're going to look at, well then how do you, how do you see a scripture like those, those that are idolaters, are fornicators, are this, are this, or this, shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. How do we see that in this context? We're going to talk about that next week. And the other thing that I wanted you to be aware of, that it just, man, it got away from me just like my testimony. There's two big things that happen when you make that choice for Jesus. Well, you know, maybe there's lots of things. That's the other thing. I'm, I'm, not, trying to, I'm not trying to paint a picture of all of God's relationship with God. I just, I just want to see it from, from one perspective today. But it's a good perspective. It's a big one. There's two super-duper things that happen when you get born again. Well, three. One of them is you got born again, right? You are changed. Your very nature is changed. And, and you have to embrace that change. Despite how you behave, you have to embrace that change. Because if you don't embrace that change, then you'll identify yourself with the old person. And you'll never be fruitful in the kingdom. You'll never have um, excellent relationships with God because you'll be forever feeling like God is kicking the snot out of you because you're such a bad person. You have changed. You have to embrace it. Don't think about the bad stuff that you think. Those are probably not even your thoughts, stinking devil. Don't mire yourself in every mistake that you made. Embrace the fact that you are new. You're different. You're holy. You're righteous. You're made in the truth. The second thing that happens is God takes you out from under the law. You know what it means to not be under law? It means to not be under law. You're not under the law. You can't screw up according to the law because God took you out from under the law. So there is no legal recourse as, as far as your eternal relationship to God is when you make that mistake. There might be some temporal stuff that you need to deal with. Otherwise, God wouldn't need to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I really don't understand that completely. But practically, I think I do. But two things happen. So that God, he, he can take you out from under the law and not worry about you being this massive transgressor. Why? Because he made you new. You weren't born from unrighteous seed, but righteous seed. Just like Jesus was born from the seed of God, we are born from the seed of God. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, that is good news. 
That's really good news. It's the only news that matters. Because now, despite your behavior, you're righteous. In a righteousness that doesn't come from keeping rules and regulations. The God that's accused of wanting to control you by his rules and regulations said the only way you can come to me is not by keeping my regulations, just by trusting my son and agreeing that you'd like to live in this kingdom of righteousness over here. Amen. All right. I could take a short one and make it long if you let me, but I won't. Do you see why at the beginning I said the person who thinks that they have to be righteous to be a Christian, even the one that thinks they're already a Christian probably isn't already a Christian? Because somehow they're establishing their relationship with God on their own righteousness, their own holiness, their own good works. And, and what they don't recognize, I witnessed to a guy just before we went on vacation. It was a great opportunity. But that person is willing to stand or fall based upon his own righteousness and he sees himself as a good man. I tried to explain, I said, no, no, no. You don't understand, you're measuring yourself against me. You've got to measure yourself against God. If you measure yourself against me, you'll probably come out Okay. You measure yourself against God, you never come out okay. The righteousness that's necessary for you to be okay is God himself. You're hanging your head on a peg that won't hold your hat. That's your own righteousness. So the person who thinks, okay, God, I'm just going to keep your rules so I don't have to go to hell, probably never got saved because they didn't understand. Not by what they do, by what Jesus did. Okay, second stop.